You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You found Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Instead, it's a weekly look at all of the technology buzz surrounding the Internet of Things, drones, autonomous vehicles, and all the gadgets and gizmos in between. So, welcome and We've got a lot in store today because for those who've been following along that we have just finished up what was or is known as fondly as Hacker Summer Camp. And it's three conferences back to back from Black Hat Security B-Sides and DEF CON all taking place in lovely Las Vegas. And what happens when you bring together 35,000 or so of your favorite hackers, researchers, policy folks all discussing the latest technology? Well, it makes for typically a wild week of disclosures of vulnerabilities, of the latest and greatest in hacking. So this year, no exception. And we'll talk about some of the news and some of the impact from the research that came from Hacker Summer Camp. But also up for grabs on today's show is we'll give the usual bust or must, but looking at some of the other you know, related issues because you have the devil in the details. You have voting machines, privacy and security shifts, disclosure of vulnerabilities, the latest in autonomous vehicles, and what happens when binge watching gets easier. So all of that up for grabs on today's Buzz off with Lawyer Liz, as well as a discussion and breakdown of B-Sides, DEFCON, Black Hat, the Hacker Summer Camp, and what it means from a privacy and security perspective with CTO of Virgil Security, Dimitri Dane. And before we start talking with Dimitri, let's set the scene a little bit because As I mentioned, there's a lot that came out of the summer camp, but a lot that came out before is no surprise to anyone. One of the hottest trends, particularly at DEF CON, which was the later in the week conference, but coming out of the 2016 elections, there's a big concern of voting machine security. So one of the bigger, as I mentioned, or most popular villages from DAFCON was what they called the voting village, the election machines. So had a series of voting machines, actual machines that had been used in different elections across the country, brought in, put in a room with security researchers who were basically told, have at it, go for it. And according to different reports, it took within less than two and a half hours, each of the machines that with within the room were compromised. Granted, the researchers had physical access to the machines, and but it didn't take too much between going through and Googling, in some cases, the passwords or other keys to get into the machines. They had easy access. So before you panic, again, keep in mind, disclosure is not a bad thing. In this case, Researchers are able to point out the issues, provide an opportunity for uh, securing in the future, but also they had physical access to the machines. It wasn't a remotely executed attack. Instead, it's just pointing out that, hey, there's some vulnerabilities that should be worked on and addressed in the future. But, all right, so we go through... Voting machines. Well, some of the other 
exciting things to come out was an overall theme, which was a shift from security as an afterthought to security preemptively, that building in privacy and security concerns throughout the entire life cycle uh, of development, that whereas the voting machines were playing catch-up, and as we've talked about on previous buzz-off shows as well, we're not only playing catch-up with voting machines, but also when it comes to health care that a lot of the devices or equipment are legacy devices and equipment that due to costs of new machines, crunched budgets, and quite frankly, if it works, hospitals, medical offices, doctors are reticent, are reluctant to get rid of it. Why spend the money there? when the machine works. So working with researchers and working with regulators as well as raising awareness. So there were several tracks at the conferences that highlighted this shift and that you had the device manufacturers, you had the legislators, the regulators, those who are making the decisions, those who are overseeing the cycle or development cycle, really working with the researchers sitting in the rooms, some of the most overflowing rooms or ones that Josh Corman and Bo Woods, Bo is, has also been on the Buzz Off show as well as Josh, but Bo and Josh brought together through their panels and discussions at legislators themselves. You had members of Congress, you had that were willing to sit down in the room with researchers and say, what do we need to do? How do we get this right? As a consumer and end user, of everything from autonomous vehicles to the healthcare to the voting machines. A proud voter. You know, I appreciated the open discussion that the researchers were respectful. They had to, at one point, conference organizers had to move that panel from its initial room to one, uh, to a larger size. And it wasn't just there at Security B-Sides or B-Sides LV for B-Sides Las Vegas, you had a panel hosted by Jen Ellis, who handles policy and outreach, among other things, for Rapid7. You had her bringing in a discussion uh, with DOJ Council as well, Department of Justice Council, as well as security researchers Taking up Georgia Congressman uh, Tom Graves, his hack back bill, as it's affectionately known, but even better was its acronym ACDC, Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act. But looking at, all right, so I've been compromised. Can I, what can I do? Do I have the ability and is there a safe and secure pathway to figure out who did this? And as they talked about, get your information back. In reality, it's not quite the same as, well, you've stolen my iPad. I will then go in, go back and retrieve my iPad because we're talking about data, but an open, respectful dialogue that hopefully enlightened some and educated even more. But throughout all of this, one of the other more entertaining uh, aspects of DEF CON was certainly the car hacking village and looking at some of the issues there. But as one of the bus of and reminder that technology is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes and still has a long way to go. We have to give a slight bust to Tesla because as one car owner recently found out, when you lose wireless signal, your uh, iPhone or your, you know, mobile device apps don't always work. And if you are in the middle of the desert and you've left your car key fob at home, when your car loses signal, you cannot start the car nor unlock the doors with just your phone. So uh, 
luckily in this case, the uh, car driver was able to go to a location where he could re- receive signal and reconnect. But it's not the first time. A- another car driver found out that when you're using a ride-sharing service and it, again, is dependent on connectivity, that your car won't start nor operate if you can't get signal on the cell phone. But uh, one of the other uh, things that uh, also gets a little bit of a bust, okay, I have to say it's probably going to be somewhat of a must to, if you already have an Echo device in your home, get ready because they're going to be pairing with the Amazon Fire TVs. So binge watching is going to be a little bit easier. The Echo uh, devices, similar to the Alexa, are going to permit more complex voice commands that when they pair with your Fire TV, you can sit on the couch and Echo, show me all of the comedies. You search through your library and catalog of available shows and movies without having to leave the couch. You can also use the Echo to order food, you know, connect with other devices. So really, no need uh, within certain exceptions to get up from the couch. So for our help, that may not be, that is certainly a bust, but for those who do appreciate a good binge watch, it's going to be a little bit or somewhat of a must. But uh, when the devil's in the details, when it comes to secure design, one of my favorite wired articles coming out of a research debuted at Black Hat dealt with what happens when you've unsecure when you have vulnerabilities in previously unexpected unexpected places so in this case uh, wired looked at devilish bubbles what a researcher could do when a little flap just a little flap you can go into the code access that when we're talking about critical infrastructure and other systems that the flap at oscillating or moving at a different rate allowed bubbles into the stream of flow of liquid. And essentially that little vulnerability point was able to completely shut down and in some cases destroy and wreak havoc on the critical infrastructure and in this case, the systems, but Wired had the best uh, bubble graphic with little devil horns. So a must read. Go check it out. And kudos to Marina for her research. But what happens when you've pointed out all these flaws? What happens when you talk about all these vulnerabilities, as we call it, the world is burning? Well, catch the, we'll discuss this with Dimitri coming up in our next segment. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 on americaswebradio.com or find the podcast Lawyer Liz on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And we were talking before the break about all the different things where uh, basically everything's on fire. If coming out of Black Hat, uh, B-Sides, and DEF CON, we, we heard about the uh, the election system is broken, or the voting machines are broken, our connected cars are broken, our you know, everything, even our light bulbs and our Roombas are spying on us, broken, uh, potential victims for hacking. And so, it, you know, now that everything is awful, 
we're going to get a little bit different perspective from someone who is fighting the good fight and working to solve these issues as as he has described it before he has been researching in this area before it was even known as Wi-Fi. But Dimitri Dane is a CTO for Virgil Security and was one of the presenters during DEF CON in the crypto village. So Dimitri, welcome to the show. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate it. And, you know, everything is awful. Uh, but with that said, did you not bring or leave any, any devices or your cell phone or anything at home during DEF CON out of inordinate fear? Or are we all just being silly? Uh, I think uh, the crew at DEF CON and certainly at, at Black Hat, they do a great job trying to keep everyone safe. Uh, of course, some devices, if you brought them on the floor, it was probably a bad idea. Um, but generally, if you brought your iPhone, you you were okay. And uh, as far as I know, everything went smoothly at the show, and everyone uh, was uh, left the show with their iPhones intact. <laughs> well, one would hope. I mean, I, I did keep, try to keep an eye on what is known in one of the villages as the Wall of Sheep, where if you've been... If they've captured your passwords to an account or something, they kind of shame you into better practices. But I don't think either one of us ended up on the wall of sheep, fingers crossed. Uh, I hope not. And uh, honestly, generally, this should not have happened even if you connected to a Wi-Fi. Most devices now use uh, what's called HTTPS, uh, securing your credentials with encryption. And uh, at least on the iPhone ecosystems and coming to Androids as well, uh, you cannot provide credentials to a third party without uh, without encrypting them. So I think everyone was in decent shape. There were certainly people kind of playing around with that, and there were <laughs> many devices besides phones connected. So um, those are a different story. Well, and you raise an excellent point when thinking about, I think we were having a uh, a conversation during DEFCON where you pointed out that there are 7 billion light sockets? That's right. There are 7 billion light sockets in the United States, and probably within the next uh, little while, maybe less than 10 years, every one of those will be connected. I mean, that that is a fantastically large attack surface for uh, hackers or, you know, uh, Depending on the day, it's either Russians, the Chinese, uh, a kind of insert group here that is obviously trying to steal our data. But you're working to address some of those fears because we can't get rid of our light sockets and light bulbs. I mean, that's not quite as easy as it, it would seem in the extreme. Uh, absolutely, and this is generally highlights the entire both promise and the fear of IoT. And and the blanket statement should be made that without security and without privacy, um, IoT does not happen as an industry. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people are very excited about IoT and the promise it has, both in automation and making our lives easier and safer. Um, but without security, that just doesn't happen. I think what happened at Black Hat and DEFCON, especially DEFCON, uh, what was done is to highlight some of the issues that are um, that need to be addressed in IoT. Uh, and I think we're uh, we will address them. Uh, and this isn't new. This is a very uh, this is a new industry, but this isn't a new problem. And every step of the way, when we needed to address security uh, on the internet. It was addressed, uh, and generally, if you if you go back to mid nineties, uh, the birth of e-commerce could not have happened without um, kind of deploying uh, certificates and PKI and HTTPS on every device in the world. And at the time, it, it was it was a toss up. People didn't think that was uh, easy to do. It was it would be too complicated, and e-commerce was scary. And look, we've gone through it. E-commerce is is isn't is done. This is is happening. It's huge. Well, exactly. I mean, it looking back, 
even 10 years ago, I, I would not have necessarily thought. I mean, I think I've checked my bank account and deposited some checks on my mobile phone today. You know, I've registered for events. I've purchased things. I've, you know, confirmed that other payments that if you had told me, like I said, 10 years ago, five years ago, perhaps even, Hey, you're going to be depositing checks without thinking about it via a mobile phone app just by taking a picture. I would have thought you were crazy. That's right. And I think that's, uh, we, we always have to keep that in mind. The industry generally rises up to the challenge when, when there's something incredibly promising on the other side. And, and we did honestly have a bit of a lull in terms of crypto and privacy uh, over the last 10 years, uh, primarily because once e-commerce was finished, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do, and you had companies such as Facebook, which were all about the opposite of, of uh, privacy, and especially, <laughs> and, and that's, uh, and uh, Google as well. Uh, and generally, you haven't seen a lot of developments in this area, and we're sort of paying the price for it, but generally, I believe the industry will rise to, to the occasion because there is so much promise, so much uh, to improve on and, and really build out the entire IoT ecosystem, be that for your home, for your cars, voting and kind of taking to uh, taking internet to to the analog world well and one of the things that has really as defcon celebrated its silver anniversary i mean 25 years of hackers gathering in the desert to play and make merry uh, one of the things that probably started a few years ago, but this was the first year we had several members of Congress sitting on panels having open discussions of, hey, we understand there are issues in addition to several you know, regulators, commissioners from the FTC and staff attorneys, but they were having discussions both identifying the problems but also talking through solutions but how do you envision regulators being able to kind of is that the mechanism we want to use to change things through the legislative process or as you've noted the industry evolution itself i mean how do how do you see addressing those issues uh, so i think it, we when we look at these problems let's start at, at defcon and what happened at defcon those panels with uh, congressmen and, and representatives of the government uh, were not just packed, they were overflowing. Uh, they had to move rooms. The number of people who wanted to be there was, was incredible. Um, at the same time, the actual things that do, do protect your devices uh, generally received very few people. Um, and uh, if you look at uh, some of the talks that we're talking about, endpoint security and vulnerabilities in operating systems, if you look at the uh, number of people at the crypto village, it's probably 10 to 1 compared to what you were getting uh, at these talks and the legislative uh, with legislators and, and representatives of the government. Um, so it's it's people understand this. They think if you if you make a regulation, then magic will happen. Um, and that magic generally doesn't just happen. Somebody has to go build it. Uh, and I think uh, generally prescriptive regulation uh, is problematic. Uh, and it's very hard, especially in the industry that moves so quickly as if this industry does. But what was amazing to see is the, uh, the, the number of people kind of interested in this. This was definitely something that uh, was new and hot and people were checking it out. Um, but we, we, we are, if you were at the conference, you saw how many people recruiting pitch, pitches you, you companies were making. Uh, we lack uh, the number of uh, people who know a lot about this, and we lack people who actually built things. We lack engineers. Um, and uh, those talks were lightly attended. They were technical. They were much harder to understand what was happening there. But those are and the people who don't just break things, but they also fix things. They make them much better. Uh, well, and when you start looking at I. I've been known to joke, you can't legislate stupid. You can't fix, you, know, you can't force people to act smartly, wisely. You know, it, if they're going to do something silly, they're going to do something silly. That's, you can teach them a better way, but you can't always force that. And it seems with 
technology and legislative approaches you're chasing after. You're being reactive to technology that, I mean, the talks we saw at DEF CON two years ago, we've come leaps and bounds. It's a different side of the technology that we're talking this year. And next year we'll be talking about something. You're chasing the ball, not actually preventing it from going somewhere. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. And the industry, uh, for the last 10 years, the industry didn't have an incentive. Uh, and we talked about Google and Facebook here. They have no incentive to solve privacy and security problem for you, uh, no matter what they say. Uh, and, and generally, you, the other huge industry that was born, the cloud providers and, and moving to the cloud, also had a little bit of an incentive. But at the end of the day, they just they just kind of punted on this. Uh, but IoT is different. Voting machines are different. Connected cars are different. Uh, they have such an incredible incentive to solve this uh, that that industry just simply does not exist if it doesn't get solved. So I, I think uh, we're we, the awareness is high. Uh, you saw a huge number of people at the DEF CON, and uh, we'll see amazing things happening uh, next year. Well, and do you foresee kind of that a shift back, whereas a couple of years ago, nobody would have been, we wouldn't even had the, interest isn't the right word, but the legislators wouldn't have necessarily attended, and it, it wouldn't have been a jam-packed room. It would not have been an open dialogue. Do you see that swing or a shift in evolution of sorts where we'll start getting back to the technical problem-solving uh, talks at those the endpoint talks will be more heavily attended going forward. Uh, I hope so, uh, but generally the vendors have to, to have to play and they have to have an incentive. And at this point, they 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 do. So yes, you you will see more solutions. But generally, DEFCON is not about solution in general. So it's it's about <laughs> highlighting the problems, uh, and and that's lovely. This is what we need. Well, and that's, uh, some would say that's what Washington is good at as well, is they're happy to point out the problems, but finding effective solutions uh, they're discovering is a little more difficult. Oh, absolutely. It's way, way more difficult and may, way more resource intensive. It's much easier to highlight the problem. Well, absolutely. And one of the things is we're about to head into a commercial break and we'll pick back up is, all right, so the industry needs to fix the problem, but what is the problem? And helping to identify that. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And we're talking today with the CTO of Virgil Security, Dimitri, and kind of giving our post rundown of some of the issues in the IoT that came up and during the Black Hat, B-Sides, and DEF CON Hacker Summer Camp. And before the break, we were highlighting some of the things that changes we've seen are the evolution with legislators paying attention to this community. Uh, but as we spoke, Dimitri, you mentioned legislators aren't the ones to necessarily address the real issues that it really we've identified the problems in the Internet of Things and all these devices. And so now we've, we've raised the fear level but how do we get to the, from fear to security? Yes, and that's, uh, I think legislators are doing a great job, and not just legislators, also the hackers and the, and the media are doing a great job raising the awareness, um, and the awareness uh, has uh, frankly lagged for a long time, uh, and there wasn't the business case behind security. Most vendors do not differentiate their products based on security, and uh, that's been true. They differentiate on features, they differentiate on price, uh, but security is an afterthought. It has been an afterthought. So uh, seeing this level of interest, seeing 
Uh, frankly, the 2016 election has been a huge boon. Uh, prior to that, of course, all the Snowden revelations on the privacy side of things, uh, that helped uh, an industry, frankly, get funded. Uh, and now you're seeing vendors that uh, are attempting to differentiate on security. Uh, however, we're really not going to get to a very uh, high level of security until uh, it becomes almost a standard, where it's an expectation of an end user that when I buy something, uh, it is by default secure. Uh, right now, most people probably don't anticipate it to be secure. They anticipate that, yeah, I am giving up some privacy. I am giving up some security. I just I, I do it in, for convenience. Um, and I'm kind of trading, doing that trade-off in my mind. Uh, the industry does not get big until it, that trade-off either doesn't exist or, or is severely minimized. Uh, and I think you're, you will see that happening uh, going forward and the industry kind of transitioning from positioning security as a, as a bolt-on uh, to transitioning to it. It's built into every device. And, and we certainly have entire ecosystems that are very secure. What Apple is doing is extremely well-designed and, and very well-protected, but they've been at it, believe it or not, for a decade. Uh, and other vendors are just starting. I was to say, yeah, happy birthday to the iPhone. Uh, 10 years uh, and stuff like coming through. It's like, wow, okay. Um, and, you know, we were hearing recently how with like Roomba, you know, convenience, I turn on in a little disc shaped robot and it does the vacuuming for my entire house. I mean, that's, that's pretty convenient. I don't have to do anything and can just let it go. But, now they may sell maps of our, you know, the privacy side where if they take that data that they've been collecting on the mapping and the shape and where things may or may not be located in our house, it, it's had to go around. Should we be concerned or are we focus, or are we focusing on the right thing? So. Uh, there are two sides to this. First of all, yes, we should be concerned. Should we be concerned about Roomba? No. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that's sort of the bottom line there, I think, because the Roomba is collecting information that is publicly available. Generally, if you want to get your house blueprint, uh, it's available at the county. Uh, when the house was built, there are tax records and the exact blueprint of what exactly was built at, at what lot. Uh, so Roomba, uh, even though, yes, it's collecting, potentially collecting some information uh, about your house, uh, it's probably doing it just to do a better job to clean your house. Uh, and there isn't a whole lot of value of, of, to that information. However, uh, it does highlight where the legislators can help. Uh, and I think especially in Europe, they're very, they're very um, concerned about various IoT devices collecting information inside your home. We're deploying microphones with Alexa in your home. Uh, we're deploying uh, various occupancy sensors. For example, now we'll be able to see who is uh, where inside the house at any given moment. Um, and, of course, uh, that information becomes very private and very sensitive. Uh, and protecting that and making sure that you own it versus the company that sold you the device owns it, uh, I think that's crucial, and that's the, that's uh, deals with privacy and security at the same time. Well, and it it is a little unnerving to think that uh, you know Alexa, and uh, you can ask any question, Alexa's going to rat you out. So, it, do you see the trend shifting kind of away from just blindly sure collect the data, sell it, or? Is it going to be more of the European model that you're seeing where it's you have a right to be forgotten, you have a right to control some of that? Uh, and I think, well, uh, I'm not necessarily in, in favor of the right to be forgotten. That sort of, uh, it, it certainly has huge violations of free speech um, and in general. Uh, and Europe doesn't have that conceptually, so it's not a problem for them. Uh, here in the United States, we do, and that's incredibly powerful and useful. Uh, but in terms of Alexa, I think that ship has kind of sailed, uh, and uh, we are we're already there. Uh, it was the number one selling device on Amazon uh, two weeks ago uh, during the Amazon Day. Uh, so uh, that ship has sailed, and the, all we can really do is uh, hold them accountable to how they use that data and and uh, how we can protect ourselves. Uh, 
generally you will see the same thing with with connected cars uh connected cars autonomous vehicles they will collect everything about the road you're driving on at any given moment and they will share that information uh tesla is doing it audi is doing it everyone is going to be doing it uh you've seen huge uh, privacy concerns with uber uh uber is collecting where you're going and when um and uh, I think that ship has sailed. Uh, all we can really do is make sure that we control that information. So it becomes less about uh, security and privacy and more about a uh, conversation about control. Who controls the data? Am I, as an con- end consumer, allowed to uh, share that information only with the vendors I want it to be shared with? Uh, that's crucial, and this is where uh, cryptography particularly uh, is important. Well, and so you mentioned cryptography Perhaps give a little bit of an introduction what you mean, uh, because I feel like we hear these. I mean, I've heard, um, is it encrypted? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, used a hundred different ways where I'm thinking, I don't know that the word means what you think it means, or maybe the word doesn't mean what I think it means. So when you say cryptography, what's kind of a, a, a very basic definition that is helpful in as many situations, you know, applicable kind of generically. So uh, for the last, for the longest time, we used cryptography primarily to protect our privacy. Uh, And uh, we, so what it would do, it would uh, make sure that only the people you want uh, are able to uh, see the information that, that you've collected or you're trying to communicate. Uh, and that gen- generally has been uh, since World War II. We, this is this is how we protected that information, uh, and it was all about privacy of that information. Uh, you have seen cryptography used in an entirely different way uh, now, uh, with at least two large uh, kind of ecosystems. One, of course, is blockchains and creating uh, different cryptocurrencies, uh, where it was not about necessarily the privacy, but it was all about control and transparency. Uh, and also with the Apple ecosystem, it was about uh, controlling the data that um, that you collect on your phone and controlling what apps are you able or not able to use. Uh, so it becomes in both of those uh, kind of raise huge new features of cryptography that haven't been deployed as widely. It's it's about transparency and it's about also control. Uh, and those two will have to kind of battle it out. Uh, and, and cryptography kind of gives you uh, an ability to very finely control, okay, is this data, uh, am I sharing this information or I'm not sharing information and with who? Uh, and so far, we always kind of legislated that. We just said, hey, if you're collecting this information, only uh, your bank collects information, only the bank can use it, for example. Um, now we will not... Uh, we will be able to actually cryptographically, mathematically, if you will, control who has that information. And it, it's uh, in a way, if you do this right, it empowers consumers to a much greater degree than the free-for-all we've had over the last uh, kind of uh, 10, 15 years. Well, in, in my mind, I'm sort of envisioning, uh, what was it, from uh, – the Christmas story, uh, the little orphan Annie decoder ring. So the way you're describing it is we get to decide who has the other little orphan Annie decoder ring so that when I use my ring to, you know, hide or, you know, secure my information, I get to determine who maybe has the key and gets to see it as I've intended it to. That's right. That's exactly right. And and that's that's that speaks to control. Uh, and uh, you being able to uh, monetize your own information is is uh, crucial in the IoT world. And this is sort of how IoT makes sense. Um, and uh, you potentially reselling usage statistics from your house is a very very small use case. But you're already seeing uh, all the smart thermostats that are communicating back. Um, usually to Google exactly what what you're consuming and who is in the house at any given moment. Um, but what if well, the power comes? Don't forget the divorce attorneys that and, are trying to determine who else may be in the house. That's right, and and that's I, I spoke to that uh, previously. Absolutely, yes. Uh, occupancy is is a huge uh, huge thing to protect. 
this is truly your privacy. This is truly inside your house unequivocally. Uh, whereas when you're on a public roadway, sure, that information may be collected and it's a, a little bit of a public, uh, publicly available. But when it's inside your house, that, that's unequivocally yours and you should be able to monetize it and sell it. Um, and, and get something in return. And I think we'll see some of those use cases from the power companies. Well, and so how are the power companies using this information? You mentioned like the Nest and how Google's analyzing some of that data. How do you envision the power companies taking that information? Well, uh, power company and generally power management is all about peak demand. And if you're able to potentially dim the lights inside uh, a million of houses uh, in return for giving them a, ta- a break on the rates, uh, that's huge. And dimming the house 5-10%, the lights 5 or 10%, uh, will give you that uh, off p- demand off uh, at, the peak, uh, at the peak demand. So uh, f- that's potentially the difference between building a billion-dollar power plant or not. And uh, power companies are very much in favor of not building another one. Uh, and potentially managing uh, their infrastructure in this way. Those $7 billion sockets uh, all synced up and moving in unison, huh? That's right, yep. Well, and, you know, one of the things when we get back is what happens when you have, so, you know, we have the control, we have the you know, some of the benefits of the sinking, but perhaps even getting into some of the other issues, for example, with the voting machines, what all is required to secure it and what are some of the issues with that. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern in the afternoon and on stream streaming via americaswebradio.com or find podcast versions of the show on iTunes under Lawyer Liz or Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite streaming service, and having a sort of wrap-up discussion on Black Hat and DEF CON with Dimitri Dane from Virgil Security. But it, Dimitri, as we had hinted before, this is not Virgil's not your first foray into this. You've been working in the area of it, we'll call it Wi-Fi, but radios and uh, crypto cryptography uh, for more years than perhaps uh, folks have been around, certainly more years than there have been iPhones, even as a glimmer in someone's eye. But before the break, we were discussing a little bit about kind of setting a definition for what is cryptography and what are our expectations. So guide a transition us into, so what do we do now? Uh, we're seeing this shift in devices and manufacturers where they're starting to pay a little bit more attention into the securities. You described it. It's security is not an afterthought. It actually goes into the manufacturing and design process. But what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, security has to be delivered in a different way. And the, the vendors that are have been the most successful delivering uh, secure products and secure ecosystems generally started all the way at the silicon level and they were building in different features and different uh, things you need to, you must do uh, into their devices from the get-go. Uh, most manufacturers that we've encountered at DEF CON, be that car manufacturers, voting machine guys, uh, be that uh, any medical devices that, that all most of them now are being plugged in, uh, they didn't think about this problem from this perspective. They all went out and they bought their latest firewall or some kind of detection uh, mechanism on their network uh, 
which was all kind of, you've already been hacked and you'll just eventually find out about it, which would, what those devices will do, those devices will do. Um, ecosystems such as Apple's, uh, they look at a problem very differently. Uh, they assume that the internet is, is wild west and they, and they say, you as an end consumer, we have to build it for you in a way that's very user friendly. You don't have to do anything yourself or very little or practically nothing. Uh, but we will provide all the cryptographic features inside your phone, such as secure key storage, so only you have access to your keys, which is um, kind of strikes back to control, who controls the keys, uh, all the cryptic functions that actually do encryption, and then data validation. Uh, data validation and data provenance, how we, how we call it, is making sure that uh, data really came from you or from the sensor that you own or from the device that you own. And that's, uh, you can only do that if every single device in your ecosystem starts to have this functionality. Uh, some ecosystems do a better job than others. Generally, I mentioned the ones that don't do anything. And that's, uh, the car manufacturers that are very much behind the times here. Um, the medical device guys are protecting themselves by just putting the blinders on and hoping it doesn't happen to them. You've seen some of the biggest hacks. Um, in the hospitals over the last couple of years, that will probably just get worse. Uh, and uh, financials do a good job, um, but they have very specialized hardware that, and they have people in the, to, that do this. So uh, you see these different industries in different states of uh, development, but generally the people who thought about this and built it into everything they do, um, they've done a good job and they've been able to solve the problem. Well, you highlighted some of the critical infrastructure and uh, basic things where you know, the challenge with hospitals is what do you do with legacy uh, devices? How do you get the equipment that, because it's expensive, and if it works and gets the job done, hospitals don't always have the budget to replace it. Uh, but what do you do? I mean, because that's one of the things that was highlighted in the vote voting machine village at DEFCON is you have these voting machines and they had a vast array of different companies, uh, different machines represented. And, you know, if a county is going to spend money, sadly, they may not be updating their voting machines, the latest and greatest. And we saw at DEFCON the every single machine in the village was compromised, uh, according to some reports, within the first two and a half hours of the village being open. Uh, yeah, I think some of them were within minutes. Um, and that's how bad it was for the voting machines. Uh, keep in mind the physical access, the, you know, hackers had physical access to these machines, which isn't necessarily what you're going to see in the real world. Uh, same with the hospitals as well. Generally, there is... Uh, security in the hospital. They don't let random people walking in and connecting. Uh, but there have been very significant hacks that haven't been quite as publicized. There was one in in the port of Antwerp and uh, in Europe where uh, a very large drug smuggling operation was uh, penetrated the network physically, uh, placed new devices on the network, and uh, was able to uh, insert uh, different shipment information uh, in the port. Um, essentially, they were able to both steal the containers and modify what the customs were thinking is inside the container. Um, and so that was kind of a dual uh, dual purpose there. Uh, generally, the, you will see these things happening in these um, uh, industries with uh, low profit margins. Uh, and that's healthcare, of course. Uh, you'll see it in shipping. Uh, you'll see it in uh, voting because, well, there isn't just an, enough money to, to, to build it into those machines. They just don't have the staff. They don't have the infrastructure. Um, so going forward, it's critical to bring the price of doing the right thing down to where most of these manufacturers can do this themselves. And what it really means is, um, simplifying the process of deploying security um, to the point that most software developers that are building and most engineers that are building these devices can do it themselves without having to hire a security team, without having to uh, build their own silicon, um, to, uh, to build the entire ecosystem around the, the security posture that, the, that they have to have. Um, so that um, 
that's that's an opportunity uh and that's uh as that happens you'll see other industries kind of adapt and and get on board you will definitely see medical device manufacturers start shipping new devices that are better protected but legacy will will still be with us for a while fortunately a very large number of those devices are still fairly rudimentary they don't really do anything besides just collecting some data and uploading it somewhere um, so we are in good shape there. As long as new devices that are well connected, that have uh, important sensors that actually do control something, as soon as those are protected going forward, I think we'll be okay in the healthcare industry. Well, and one of the things is there a way to incentivize? I mean, we were chatting a little bit about uh, what you know with power companies and their grid management. That there's an incentive to connecting your devices that not only does it benefit you don't have a perhaps it it minimizes the opportunity for rolling brownouts if you know you the power company can sense when a surge is coming and kind of dim the lights as you said in the house five to ten percent nobody would really notice are there uh, does that kind of incentive plan or uh, the control, again, does that uh, scale to other areas, other aspects or industries? No, and I think that speaks to why there is a lot of fear in the IT industry, but also I think why that industry is in generally going to be in good shape. Um, it's much easier to protect that industry because they'll be able to finance it properly. They'll be able to build the right devices. They'll have the engineering power. It's much harder for the healthcare industry. Uh, we have HIPAA standards uh, in the United States um, regulations that uh, require, uh, that actually fairly, uh, do a fairly good job kind of capturing the point of not being prescriptive and being uh, uh, saying to the industry, you have to use industry standards uh, to protect your devices. Um, and uh, a big, uh, we, we've had a leadership vacuum over the last couple of years um, in, in, in large part due to what happened at NIST um, and the credibility, lack of credibility that NIST has uh, had over the last uh, three, four years since they openly, well, what became as an open cooperation with, um, uh, with the NSA. Um, the industry, especially as they built these devices, most of them built global devices, and they simply cannot forward, cannot follow NIST standards and NIST guidelines uh, because they will not be able to sell them in Europe, in China, in Russia, uh, in Asia in general. Um, and uh, that lack of leadership uh, has been detrimental, especially in the healthcare space. Um, in the financials, things are actually in pretty good shape. Um, and then you have the voting machines, which, uh, frankly... Uh, it sound, it looked like at DEFCON that every state has its own, uh, probably made by, a, a, you know, state owned or, or some, some company based in their state. Uh, so that fragmentation is, uh, has to change. Uh, and as those companies kind of beef up and they're able to invest more in the security side, I think they'll be able to protect their machines. Well, you would wonder as well whether insurers or other people uh, other companies within that ecosystem of you know, if there is a breach if there is an issue then uh, throughout the security let's say food chain that they're going to end up having to pay a lot or they're going to be the ones most harmed or okay do they do insurers offer discounts if hey if you upgrade your systems then we'll give you an insurance, uh, you know, a discount on your liability coverage or you know, other programs to kind of encourage the upgrade or reduce, spread out some of those costs. Um, it's just like we spoke about legislators have playing a role. Insurance obviously has a role to play. Uh, so far, they haven't found a good way to both quantify and um kind of prescribe what the companies must do uh just as as it's a bad idea on the prescription side of things in the government it's also a bad idea in the insurance industry because as you prescribe specifically hackers will go where you're not uh and then you're still liable and it's just still exposed of your insurance company so they've been frankly struggling with that there have been certainly some companies trying to uh, to go into that space obviously insurance is a great business but um 
in general, they, they haven't found a good scalable solution to this, uh, especially when it, when it concerns healthcare space. The exposure is huge, liability is big, um, and generally the healthcare companies will not pay you large premiums for it. Well, and I, I appreciate you not bringing the lawyers into that uh, scenario or analysis because we all know the lawyers do nothing but cost money. Um, and so you know, we're to blame for all the evils. But, uh, but Dimitri, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, kind of a, an end note you'd like everyone to take home? Absolutely. Build security from the get-go. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're a listener and if you're an engineer and you're, your company is engineering solutions, start thinking about this early. The earlier, the better. Uh, and that will cost you much less over the long term. Well, excellent, excellent advice, certainly from one who has been through the uh, security and uh, startup ecosystem. So thanks again. Congratulations on a successful presentation at uh, DEF CON. And thanks to everyone for listening. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, on America's Web Radio. And welcome to this week's edition of the Insurance Deal. I am your host, Ellen Deal, and it is as always, a pleasure to have you joining us. Our guest today is a longtime friend of mine and insurance professional, Mr. Shan Ricketts. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about Shan um, after we talk just a moment about why we're here today. Um, I'm Ellen Deal, and I've been in the insurance industry for 20 years. And believe it or not, I actually find the industry to be fun beyond belief. So when the opportunity came to have a web radio show here at America's Web Radio to talk about all things insurance. I said, heck yes. So how exciting is that? I'm the most interesting person on the planet because I like insurance. So that being said, you'll learn more about me in the coming weeks, and each week I hope to be able to bring to you a fabulous guest. This week, like I mentioned, our guest is Shan Ricketts, and Shan and I go all the way back to 1992. where where we worked for different insurance companies in the same building and and got to know each other a little bit there. And then throughout our careers, our paths have crossed, usually with me working at a different insurance company and calling on him wherever he worked. And now Shan is his own man. He is an independent agent and can do anything from group health insurance, whether that's large or small, to annuities and investments and everything along the way. But today we're going to talk a little bit about AARP and some things that are going on. So, Shan, why don't you take a minute and tell everybody about yourself, and then we'll just find a way to start folding in these questions. Fantastic. Um, Ellen, it's been a long time. I didn't realize how long we had known one another, but it has been many, many years. Time flies. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's been neat seeing how our careers have uh, crossed paths over and over again. Mm-hmm. The... Um, as you know, I've been very active in the Association of Health Underwriters, been a, you know, a past president of the state, past president of both South Atlanta and Atlanta, mm-hmm. been very active politically. Uh, typically, every year we go up to Washington, D.C., lobby with congressmen and senators, right. talk with them, uh, try to advise as much as we can. One thing that I've really appreciated about the Association of Health Underwriters that's been great is over the last decade, we, we really stopped telling um, – Telling the congressmen and the senators what they need to do mm-hmm. and basically educating them on what each lever they pull might might do. Okay. So uh, it's brought a lot more respect, uh, and and it allows those congressmen and senators to call us and ask our opinions, as opposed to feeling like we're just another group that's trying to get them to do what we want. Mm-hmm. We're more or less telling them, you know, hey, these are the various things you can do and how they will impact 
uh, your constituents, whether it be the middle class, upper class, lower class. Uh, so things like consequences and, more importantly, unintended consequences. Absolutely. Because yep. there are a lot of times where, you you know, something looks simple mm-hmm. and, and it looks like, well, if we just change this, it wouldn't do much. And mm-hmm. suddenly it impacts, you know, massive numbers of people at, at different stages, especially in the middle class. We've seen a lot of impacts on the middle class over the last several years, mm-hmm. and uh, which has brought about concerns and uh, in our ability to help stabilize the market and make coverage affordable for them again. The first unintended consequence I can remember, and it's been so long ago, I've forgotten part of it or what triggered it, but remember when insurance carriers stopped selling child-only policies? Mm -hmm. There was a regulation or legislation that went into place that said what? Insurance carriers could not underwrite child-only policies? Was that what it was? It was was a little more broad than that, but Mm -hmm. basically it just gave the opportunity for the um, for the insurance companies to have to cover more than one person or to you know need to cover you're listening to America's web radio on the Americas broadcast network.com thank you for listening